You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. Well, in the rest of our time together, we'll be examining the second lesson in a four-week series examining the importance of legacy and the legacy that we are leaving behind. And uh, what a reminder this weekend as we look at, uh, we've seen all these pictures of these precious children. We've had uh, young families standing up here front and, and dedicated themselves to be godly parents uh, we're starting Vacation Bible School. What an opportunity for us to, to see the importance of us committing ourselves to be a lasting influence in this next generation. Now, to guide us throughout this series, we're continuing to learn from Joshua and the people of Israel as they inhabit the promised land, which had been something that God had promised for 400 plus years to his people. Now, our message this weekend is taken from one of the most memorable days of that conquest of the promised land. So let's read about this. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Joshua chapter 10 or turn in your Bible app or pull out the message insert as we read from Joshua 10, as we read about this southern conquest in the promised land. In Joshua 10 verse 1, it says, It says this, Adonazadak, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had captured and completely destroyed Ai and killed its king just as he had destroyed the town of Jericho and killed its king. He also learned that the Gibeonites had made peace with Israel and were now their allies. He and his people became very afraid when they heard all this because Gibeon was a large town, as large as the royal cities and larger than Ai. And the Gibeonite men were strong warriors. So King Adonazadek of Jerusalem sent messengers to several other kings. If you skip down past some other names I might mispronounce. He says, come and help me destroy Gibeon, he urged them. For they have made peace with Joshua and the people of Israel. So these five Amorite kings combined their armies for a united attack. They moved all their troops into place and attacked Gibeon. Now last week we left off as we're working our way through Joshua with Israel initially facing a setback in this small town of Ai following a great victory at Jericho. Now, both of those locations, both those cities are in the central area of the promised land. Now, as we concluded last week, we saw that Israel once again had victory revisited at Ai. Now, word is traveling throughout this region that this new nation is gaining strength and taking captives. In chapter 9, which we're skipping this week, we, we read of an incredible ruse by a nation uh, of Gibeon as they tricked Israel into forming a treaty with them. Although the Lord had specifically instructed Israel not to make any deals with neighbors. Because you see, it was the Lord's plan to have a distinct people who were holy and set apart from all the other nations that were, were carrying out all these 
terrible things, despicable things that were practiced there in that region. Now, once again, as we noticed last week, Israel runs ahead and doesn't seek the Lord's will in the matter. As a result, and you can go back and read about this in chapter 9, which we're skipping over, but, but if you're taking notes and observation from chapter 9 as we go into chapter 10, is that Israel has entered into an unwise alliance with the people of Gideon. Let's keep reading in verse 6. Joshua 10. The men of Gibeon quickly sent messengers to Joshua at his camp in Gilgal. Don't abandon your servants now, they pleaded. Come at once. Save us. Help us. For all the Amorite kings who live in the hill country have joined forces to attack us. So Joshua and his entire army, including his best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. Do not be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. Now, it's very interesting strategy by the kings of the five city-state kingdoms located in the south of the promised land. They decided not to attack Israel directly, but instead Gideon, who Israel had unwisely committed to a partnership. Now, this point, and this we're going to just hit this point briefly, is a reminder for us that, that we need to learn from both the victories and the missteps of those who have gone before us, like Israel. And it's extremely important for us in our own lives not to be impulsive, but to seek the Lord's will prior to committing to any long-term partnership, whether it be a dating relationship, whether it be a marriage, a business partnership, a financial contract, a commitment to a youth sports league for your children, or any binding commitment that includes additional responsibilities. Now, I'm not anti-partnership or anti-commitment or anti-treaty, as I I believe there are healthy and God-honoring teams and partnerships. And yet, it's important for us to enter into those commitments carefully and prayerfully. This was not the case with Israel, as they had ran ahead without seeking the Lord's direction and guidance. And as a result of that, there were some consequences. And yet, as we learned last week, in spite of some serious missteps, the Lord continues to be merciful and gracious. And isn't that good to know that we Worship a God that's merciful and gracious. One of my favorite passages from Lamentations is that that God's mercies are new every morning. And boy, I need that in my own life. But because of God's mercy and grace, we'll see that he continues to promise our second observation today, divine victory. He continues to promise divine victory. Now, if you go back and read the book prior to Joshua, it's the book of Deuteronomy. It was written by Joshua's predecessor, Moses. And Moses gave the the people of Israel some specific direction before they entered the promised land. He shared with them that Israel would truly experience victory through divine intervention. This is how it was foretold in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 22. It says, the Lord your God will drive those nations out ahead of you, little by little. You might want to underline that, little by little. You will not clear them away all at once. 
Otherwise, the wild animals would multiply too quickly for you. But the Lord your God will hand them over to you. If you skip down to the last verse, verse 24, no one will be able to stand against you and you will destroy them all. I love this description of how the Lord in his sovereignty is always looking for the best. He's looking out for the best for everyone. In this fascinating passage, he promises Israel victory, and yet he promises that it will come little by little. Moses reminds Joshua and the people, you will have complete victory, but it will come in stages. It will come little by little. In fact, he says, it's in your best interest that it not come at all all at once. Because if all the people of the promised land were defeated immediately, he says, the wild animals would take over and they would literally have a wild zoo on their hands there in the promised land. I love this insight we get into God's unfolding plan for the Israelites and how that God is always looking out for our best interest. And yet, personally, I struggle with this at times. You see, I want victory, but I want it now. Does anyone else have problems with being patient with victory coming in your life? Or patient with God's will to be unfolded or for God's promises to be lived out in your life? You see, I want victory in my personal life. I want it in my family life. I want it in our church life. And I have difficulty waiting for victory, which really stinks when you're a Reds fan, okay? I mean, I grew up during the big red machine era, and, you know, I just thought you went to the World Series every year when I was a teenager. I'm having struggle with this rebuild. I mean, I'm really struggling. And I just, just a little warning for those of you that are Cavs fans, I started cheering for the Cavaliers this year, which probably doesn't look too good for them in the playoffs, okay, against the Warriors. You see, I'm that guy who wants patience, but I want it now. Can you relate to that? Have you ever found yourself praying, Lord, give me patience, but I want it today, right now? Now, this is the text that we had planned for weeks to learn from on this weekend. And wouldn't you know that it was this week that I was really struggling with my patience. Now, somebody told me last night, you always struggle with your patience. I said, you're right. But this week especially, you see, this week was the week that we were supposed to get final occupancy of our student wing. Well, our construction partner failed to meet all the building regulations. And again, on Friday, we failed to receive our permit. I want to ask you to join me in praying. We're supposed to get another test, hopefully on Monday or Tuesday. Please join me in praying that we'll pass this week so I don't have to dismiss the students over to the YMCA next weekend. Now, through this challenge, on the first time that the, 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 the city came and, and, and reviewed our, our building, I, I was pretty calm on Wednesday because I was assured by our construction company that that they would fix the things by Friday's retest. And then 
on Friday, I received this text that it wasn't going to happen. And unfortunately, I vented my anger with both the ministry staff and our construction partner. I wish that I'd been reading this text a little more closely earlier this week before I sent my text, okay? I probably shouldn't have sent it. You see, I struggle at times with being patient and waiting on the timing for the Lord's intervention. That's why I'm so grateful for the calm people that God has put in my life, people like my wife, the elders, our leadership team, and I especially want to thank people like Lee Wagner and Scott LeBlanc who remind me often to wait on the Lord's timing. You see, I struggle with that. And if you struggle with patience, maybe ask yourself this morning, is there an area of my life that I'm really struggling to see God's promises fulfilled? And in, in that struggle, at times, do you give in to anxiety and fear? Do you find yourself saying and doing things you shouldn't do just because of a lack of patience? As I was preparing for this weekend of child dedication, I went back and looked up, you know, I was looking up the meaning of all these kids' names, and I looked up the meaning of my name, especially after what happened Friday, and, and I found out the name Roger means spearman or warrior. Maybe I should have as my life verse, Proverbs 16, better a patient person than a warrior. One with self-control, the one who takes the city. You see, I want to take the city now. It's hard for me to wait. So blame my parents. They shouldn't have given me this name. Well, as we go back to our text in Joshua, we see once again divine intervention on Israel's behalf. In verse 10, we read, the Lord threw them into a panic and the Israelites slaughtered a great number of them at Gibeon. Then the Israelites chased the enemy. We skip down a few Sentences, as the Amorites retreated down the road from Beth Horon, the Lord destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm from heaven that continued until they reached Azekah. The hail killed more of the enemy than the Israelites killed with the sword. In my research for this lesson, I discovered that in this area of the world, there's been reported hailstones up to two inches in diameter that have been known to fall in spring storms of Palestine. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to get hit by a hailstone that's two inches in diameter. And yet we see once again that the Lord intervenes at just the right time. And it's obvious to Israel once again that victory comes for the Lord. At times, like many of you, I get frustrated with myself when I fall short, when I react wrongly, when I stumble, when I fail to be the person and leader that I want and need to be. And yet I believe with all my heart that it is the Lord's plan to work through weak and broken people. Because then it's obvious when he brings the victory that it only is through him. He is the only true source of victory. 
Now, with this as our backdrop, then we read about not only a most memorable day, but a most memorable prayer. Now, let's keep reading as we learn about this big, hairy, audacious prayer that Joshua has the courage to offer to the Lord. Now, in the past, we've talked as a church about the importance of having big, hairy, audacious goals that stretch us and challenge us. But maybe more important than having big, hairy, audacious goals is to have a big, hairy, audacious prayer. Let's read about that audacious prayer in verse 12. On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. Listen to this prayer. Let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Is this event not recorded in the book of Jashar? The sun stayed in the middle of the sky, and it did not set as on a normal day. There's never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. Wow. Now, I've shared before that this Bible passage is the Bible passage that the skeptical part of my heart has struggled with more than any other Bible passage that I've come across. When we planned this message series, we thought this would be a good story of the Bible to read at the beginning of Vacation Bible School, a, a Vacation Bible School focused on God's creation Today, you see, we're going to begin this afternoon teaching and throughout June, the children who come to Operation Arctic that everything we can see and even those things that we can't see, every star in the universe, every planet, every animal, and every organism was created by the Lord God Almighty. And that the God we read about in the Bible created everything out of nothing. Now, this is a difficult pill for some people to swallow. And I understand that this isn't necessarily what we hear taught in our postmodern world. Personally, I believe with all my heart that God created everything in the universe out of nothing. And I believe that he not only has the power to create the entire universe in six days, he rested on the seventh, But I believe if he chose, God is so powerful that he could create everything in the universe in six minutes by simply speaking it into existence. And yet, for some reason, this text in Joshua chapter 10 has been the most difficult passage for me to get my head wrapped around because it seems so impossible. In studying for this message, I went back and read what different commentators had to say. I read different theories on how to understand this Bible passage and how to understand how the Lord pulled off this incredible science, gravitational pull defying miracle. And yet at the end of the day, I came back to the truth that if I believe that the Lord is the one that created the laws of science 
then he can intervene in a miraculous way to allow this miracle to occur. Why? Because I believe that God is a God who can do the impossible. Do you believe that God is a God who can do the impossible? Now, as I contemplated this scene, what's maybe even more amazing than the miracle itself, which is pretty incredible when you try to get your mind wrapped around it, is that Joshua had the audacity to pray that something he had never seen before would happen. He truly believed that if he asked God to do this incredible thing, that God would do it. And here's the verse that really speaks to me, and I I hope it speaks to you this weekend. It's verse 14 when the text says, There has never been a day like this one before or since. Now, typically, I've stopped there and got hung up with all the, 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 the intricacies and the details of how God would have pulled off this miracle. But I think that the important part of this sentence for us to really wrestle with is that there's never been a day like this one before or since, and maybe you want to underline this in your Bible, when the Lord answered such a prayer. You see, what's so even more incredible in some ways than God who created the universe could do this? is that Joshua believed that God could do this before he ever seeing it or reading about it as we read about it here. And as I thought about that, I thought possibly I've been limiting God way too much of him working in my life because my God has been too small. Possibly you've been limiting how God wants to work in your life Because you've not been praying to a God that you really believe can do the impossible. Are you asking, am I asking big, hairy, audacious prayers? You see, it's easy for us to settle for praying only for those things that we can see happen or that we can somehow imagine could happen by just natural occurrences. It's another thing altogether to pray a prayer that you and I can't see how God's going to work it out. And you had to have the audacity to believe that God can intervene and do the impossible even though it's never been done before. Can you think of a situation in your life, a relationship, a challenge that you've been limiting God because of the smallness of your faith. You know, a quote I came across from a guy I follow on Twitter, a guy named Rick Ashley. He says, it's always good to tell God about your problems, but sometimes you just need to tell your problems about God. I thought that was pretty good. I thought that was pretty good. Have you been telling your problems about the God you worship? Now, personally, after I read this text and it really sunk into me the faith of Joshua and the audacity of this prayer, I just stopped my study and I went for a long walk here around the building and I just asked the Lord, what audacious prayer do you want me to pray? 
What audacious prayer do you want me to have the faith to begin to ask you on a regular basis? You see, I ask that because I've learned through the course of time, you got to be careful what you pray about. It's like the, the time I went on a vacation with my family and I really was tired and exhausted from work and I just thought I really need this vacation long, very badly. And, and I prayed before going on the vacation, Lord, just help the time go slow on this vacation. Don't pray that prayer. Guess what happened? I hurt my back the first day of vacation. I ended up in bed while my kids were on the beach. Time went slow. God answered his prayer. So so after reading this, I, I said, Lord, what do you want me to pray? You see, as a church, we're in the midst of this journey, it's leadership, we're praying and asking ourselves and asking God to show us what his vision is for Southwest over the next three years. And I want to ask you to join me and join our leadership team in praying for the Lord to lead us to a clearly defined vision that's not ours but is of him. A vision that will stretch us, a vision that is only possible because we worship a God who can do the impossible. I don't even know what to tell you that prayer is going to be yet, but I'm praying, God, give me that prayer. Is it about our growth as a church? Is it about the number of small groups that we're launching and will continue to launch? Is it about some new ministry or mission initiative that God will be God honoring? Is it, is it the number of people that we can baptize and, and see begin that new life during the next three years? What is that audacious vision and prayer that will that we need to grab onto as a church, as a people. Will you join me in praying for that kind of clarity? And let's be a people that pray audacious prayers. And this leads us to our last observation from this text and that Joshua's leadership was uncompromising. Our last point is he refused to settle. He refused to settle for small thinking. He refused to settle for minimizing what his great God could do. He was a faithful individual and leader who refused to settle for less than God's best. He expected and experienced complete victory. And I believe that we should follow his example and do the same. How many of us have settled for less than a victorious life? How many of us have settled for an anemic prayer life instead of a dynamic Joshua audacious prayer life? How many of us have settled putting limits on the level of joy that we experience in life? How many of us would put a a limit on the, the kindness that we demonstrate to others? How many of us have set a limit on the generosity that we will demonstrate? How many of us have set a limit on the personal sense of peace that we'll experience? How many of us have set a limit and settled for less than the best in our marriage or in our family? Are we accepting strained relationships? How many of us have settled for shallow surface friendships instead of open, authentic relationships that God's breaking through and working in powerful ways? How many of us have settled for less than absolute purity in our life? Let's be a people who refuse to settle for less than God's best. 
Joshua is an inspiring individual because he left a legacy of expecting God's best and he refused to settle for less. In the last section of Scripture, which we ran out of time to read the whole thing, it it describes this complete victory attitude that Joshua had. We we see it illustrated in verse 24 when, when he calls the five kings out of a cave that they'd been hiding and he commands the Uh, commanders of the army, come and put your feet on the king's necks. Now, some of you might push back from that kind of language, but, you know, that phrase is still used today in this field of athletics to describe someone who can finish strong and truly defeat their opponent. At the end of this chapter, we read in verse 42, Joshua conquered all these kings and their land in a single campaign for the Lord, the God of Israel, was fighting for his people. I love Joshua. As we began this examination of Joshua, we described that Joshua is the Hebrew name of the Greek equivalent. Remember what the Greek equivalent of the name Joshua is? Jesus. Jesus came to this earth And he refused to settle for the less than best. He refused to settle for anything than complete victory. The very first prophecy of Jesus coming to this earth is found in the third chapter of Genesis. And in the third chapter of Genesis, it says the evil one, Satan, would crush the heel of Jesus. But it says the Son of God who is to come to earth, and we know him as Jesus Christ, would crush the evil one's head. I think it's that same attitude of putting the neck, the foot on the neck of Satan and saying, I'm declaring complete victory. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he went to the cross. He overcame sin by living that perfect, sinless life. And when he came back from the grave, he overcame death. You see, yes, Satan inflicted some pain on Jesus. It wasn't easy. But I'm grateful that we follow a Lord who refused to settle for anything less than total victory. We take communion each week. And as we take communion, it's really a victory celebration. Because you see, when we pass the bread that reminds us of the body of Jesus Christ, when we pass the cups that remind us of the blood that was shed for us, we're reminded that the Son of God came to this earth and he experienced complete victory. He defeated Satan. And because of that, he invites us into a relationship with him where we can experience complete victory as well. As we take communion, let's celebrate the victory that's been won for us by Jesus, our Lord. But let's examine our hearts and ask ourselves, are we refusing to settle for less than the best? Or have we been settling for less than the best in our life? Let's allow this victory celebration of what Jesus has done for us to remind us to be a people that refuse to settle for less than God's best in our life. Let's be determined this week that we'll live that victorious life, realizing that it only comes from the one that we serve. Let's pray together.
Dear God, thank you. Thank you for these great stories in Scripture where we see your power displayed. Father, we confess today that at times we have made you too small. Help us, Father, to recognize that you're a God who can do the impossible. You've done it over and over again. You did it with Joshua, and you did it with Jesus when he came back from the dead. Help us fix our eyes on him. Remember the victory that he won for us at the cross. And help us, Father, to renew our commitment to live that victorious life this week, following after him with all of our hearts. It's in Jesus, our Lord and our Savior that we pray. Thank you for listening to Southwest Church Teaching Ministries. We are a community of people committed to following Jesus and making disciples. Please join us for one of our three weekly gatherings, Saturdays at 5.30 p.m., Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and 11.15 a.m.